Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to the Ephesians here about how their lives should look in Christ. Because if we're believers, it should look a certain way. We should display certain behaviors and certain traits. So he starts out in verse 1 saying, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And he says this in verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I think this is beautiful. He's really talking about the unity that we have together in Christ as his body. To bear with one another in love, to be patient, to be humble, to be gentle. Now these are pretty strong words because depending on what day, uh, how I'm feeling, how I'm doing, I don't necessarily want to live this out. And then he says this in verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Say one body. In your anger, do not sin. Now I love this because how many have ever gotten angry? Come on, let's be honest. Do you know being angry is not sinful? But being angry and then sinning in the midst of that is where it turns into sin. So feelings are okay. Isn't that awesome? So he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In verse 27, he says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, as I read this scripture, I see a few things. I see about behavior and, and, and things that we should exude as believers. But this, this last line kind of throws me off because he's talking about us being in unity. He's talking about us as human beings relating in, in gentleness and through peace and through love. He says to be angry, but sin not. Then he says this, do not give the devil a foothold. And I used to read this and go, okay, well, what's the devil in there? But this is interesting. In the original text, in the Greek, this word devil is the word diabolos. That's where we get the word diablo. It means this, false accuser or slanderer. In English translation, many times where we see the word devil, it's not even talking about an entity or a person. You know, the, the pitchfork, the, the, the red suit and the horns, because that's how the devil looks, right? Well, depending on what movie you watch, you might be like, right? That's the devil, you like that, Pete? Devil. I'm not manifesting. It's just acting. <laughs> but what it's saying here, it's not, it's even, look at it, it's, it's small d in my translation. It's saying don't give in to false accusation or slander or allow that to become a foothold in your life. Why is this important? Because the way of the world is through accusation, hatred, murder, greed, falsehood. He's saying, don't let that get a foothold in your life because it's all around you. I mean, slandering is, isn't that even a legal thing? Like you can get sued if you slander someone's name, you speak falsely of them. He's saying, don't caught up. Look at this, in anger sometimes, sometimes we say things that we don't mean or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and we say something that's slanderous. We say something that maybe is a false accusation. We don't even know the truth. He's saying, don't let that get a foothold in your relationship. In the body of Christ, we can't have accusation. That's the way that the world plays out their role. So 
Paul lays out some pretty plain behaviors of what a follower of Jesus or a follower of the way would look like. How many know Jesus is the way? Right? He's the way. It's the way of living life. Sometimes we look at that in an afterlife sense, and I agree with that. But I also think that it's not just about after I die. It's about here and now. He's the way of living. He always demonstrated that the kingdom was through love and through peace and through grace. This is the way that we operate in life. So Jesus is the way. He's the truth. Think about that. He's the truth. The truth is, this is how the world was created to to operate, through love and unity and peace. This is what God's intention was in the world. Non-truth is aggression, accusation, murder, war, hatred, greed, malice, completely different kingdoms. He came to demonstrate the kingdom of God and to bring it back into this earth. And here we are as image bearers. It's absolutely awesome. So when you look at this way of living, I know for me, I'm like, some of these things, they're not so easy, right? How can Paul expect us to exude these behaviors? How are we to actually look and live like Jesus? I want to talk about this today, and I titled the message, if you want a title, Put the Treadmill to the Curb. Put the Treadmill to the Curb. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, first of all, that we have the ultimate word, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit who who enlightens us, who directs us, who guides us. We thank you that we have access to Scripture, that we can look in the Scripture, we can rightly divide what it's saying to us here and now. I thank you that we have proper context today as we go through the Scripture and, and we see things for how they really are. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. How many love treadmills? I got like three hands. Of course you do, Jason. This guy runs like a thousand miles a day. But, but treadmills, you know, it's, it's either a love-hate thing. For me, I see a treadmill and my knees hurt. I'm just like, forget it. I'm not going to do it. I've tried to just do light jogs and next day I'm paying for it. And you know, I say put the treadmill to the curb. There'll be a lot of treadmills go to the curb here in the next several months because for some people, they'll buy one for Christmas and then they'll never use it. They've got great intentions, right? Treadmills are so awesome. But are they? It's like you're running. Yes, they are. My wife says yes. But you just run in place, but you're really not going anywhere. Now, I think my favorite reason for loving treadmills is uh, the YouTube treadmill fail videos. Have you ever watched these? (laughs) Now, I know as a Christian, we probably shouldn't laugh. We should probably be praying for these people. But have you seen these people? I mean, we need to pray for wisdom in their lives because... First of all, to get on a treadmill going seven, eight, nine miles an hour and try to look cool in front of a camera usually doesn't work. And I cannot believe how the body can contort when it hits a treadmill in the wrong way. I mean, it throws people up against walls. You know, I mean, for me, can you imagine actually flipping off this thing in, in the back of your heels hitting the back of your shoulders? I mean, the body should not contort in that way. Yet many times on these fail videos, it does. I'm like, that's a miracle. We have a treadmill at our house, which I don't use. My wife does, by the way. And so how many have seen a treadmill? Usually the home ones, they're on a hinge, so you can lift them up and you can lock them away. A lot of times that'll give you more room in your area. For us, it gives us a little more room in, in the workout area that, by the way, my wife uses way more than me. Another reason that we put it up is because it's not safe for little kids. Well, my youngest son, Aiden, he's seven now, 
and my grandson Oakley, who is four now, um, they had this season they went through where they were just completely enamored with the treadmill. Like they, they desired the treadmill. They craved a treadmill. And I'm like, you're too young. Stay off the treadmill. And so we would be upstairs and they would go down to the play area. Yeah, that's air quotes, play area. And they would end up in the treadmill area. And we'd be upstairs just talking, drinking coffee, whatever. And we would hear that. That's the treadmill sound. Does anyone, did I get that right? And we hear that treadmill. We're like, what? Guys, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. You're doing nothing? Of course, they were playing with the treadmill. So we'd go downstairs and we'd say, you can't play in a treadmill. We're not trying to be mean, but if this thing gets going too fast, you could really hurt yourself. I mean, has anyone ever fallen on a treadmill? I mean, you have, good. We'll talk later about that story. But the treadmill itself, I think it's made out of sandpaper, right? So one day, in this season of Aiden and Oakley really needing and craving and desiring the treadmill, uh, they're downstairs in the, air quotes, play area. They end up in the treadmill area. So we're upstairs, we're drinking coffee, we're just relaxing, and all of a sudden we hear it. Oakley starts crying. Oh! And Alyssa's like, oh my God, you know? So, so we get, she's laughing because she does overreact a little bit, but it's her son, I get it. So she goes, oh my God. And so Oakley comes up the stairs and he's crying like this and he's like, mama, mama, I flung off, I flung off. Now flung means flung. He flung off. So he literally flung off or flung off the treadmill. Bless his heart, he had this mark up his side, this red mark where he got hit. He's like, oh. And then, of course, Bubba's like, buddy, it builds character. <laughs> and Alyssa, as always, shut up. <laughs> Marriage is awesome, isn't it? It's fun when I can tell on someone else and not myself. But Oakley flung off the treadmill. And so I asked Aiden the story. I said, listen, buddy, you're not supposed to be playing this. What happened? And he's like, well, everything was fine at first, Dad. He's like, I, I got in the treadmill and I'm running. And, and then I pushed seven and I was running really fast until I kind of came off the back. And then I said, Oakley, it's your turn. I said, did you keep it on seven? Well, yeah. So Oakley tried to get on a seven miles an hour. Boom. And he flung off. Poor baby. Treadmills aren't safe. Put the treadmills to the curb. But let me say this, in your walk with God, treadmills are unsafe. A lot of times they hurt us because we get on the treadmill and we're trying to do this performance mode, this self-effort. We're trying to prove something to ourselves, but we're not going anywhere. Many times we fall and we got that red line going up our side because we fell hard on that treadmill, on that sandpaper, because we're not supposed to live Christianity walking on a treadmill. It's so important that we see this. You know, the thing about a treadmill, there's nothing like running in place and going nowhere, right? Have you ever felt like that in your life, that you're running but going nowhere? Especially your life as a believer. Like, your intentions are great. Your intentions are right. You, you want to do the right behaviors, as Paul describes here in Ephesians. Why? Because that's the desire of your heart. That new heart that God gave you those good works that he's put in you, you desire to live that out. The fruit of the spirit, your very spirit craves to work that out. But a lot of times, instead of getting in line with him, we come over here and we get on the treadmill of Christianity and we try to tread it out ourselves. And so again, the treadmill, man, we need to put it to the curb. Now, Ephesians 4 is addressing the behaviors. And I think behaviors are important. How many would think and agree with me that behavior matters? You know, a lot of times... 
if we're not careful, when we, when we as our church does, express how loving God is and how gracious he is, some people maybe get this misperception. It means that behavior doesn't matter, but that's not true. Behavior matters for sure. But how we get there, the motivation that it takes to get there, I mean, what is it? How do we get there? And so again, today I want to talk about this idea of putting the treadmill to the curb. If we look back at Ephesians 4 and verse 1, uh, Eugene Peterson puts it like this in the message. In light of all this, here's what I want you to do. So Paul's saying like, listen, in light of everything I just said, here's what I want you to do. What did he just say? Well, if we look at chapter 3, he spells it out. He said, God being rich in mercy saved us because of his great love for us. It talks about God's goodness. It talks about his forgiveness. You know, it's really cool. It talks about the unity of humanity now. See, at this time, the Jews were the chosen people. Anyone else was considered a Gentile, and they were without a God, without a covenant. But when Jesus came, he changed everything. He brought everything together, and no one's better than the other. This is amazing. Because if, if we could understand this, if we could get this, then we would stop the division that's happening in the church. We could stop the division that's happening in our country. We could stop the division that's happening around the world. You're like, Pastor, that's, that's pie in the sky. No, no, no. If we live kingdom living, each one of us, not seeing anyone different based on their religion or their color or, or their social status or their education level, what would the world be like? It would look like heaven, right? And we are the image bearers. We're the ones who have heaven inside, and it's up to us. See, this isn't legalism or you better. It's an automatic response and outflow to say, heaven is being brought to earth through me. If you're a believer, this is what we do. And it's beautiful when we bring that unity. So he's telling us about how good God is, about it's not no longer just this Jewish race. We've all been freed from a life of sin. We're no longer dead in sin. And then he wraps it up in chapter 3 like this, verse 14. He says, This is the reason I kneel in the presence of the Father, from whom all the family in heaven and on earth receives its name. I'm asking God to give you a gift from the wealth of his glory. I pray that he would give you inner strength and power through his spirit. Then Christ will live in you through faith. I also pray that love may be the ground in which you sink your roots and in which you have your foundation. And now I love this because he's saying that love has to be the very foundation of everything you do. Think about that. Everything we do should be from the foundation of love. Let me ask you a question. Is love simple? No. Is love always easy? No. First of all, love's not a feeling. It's a decision. So, you know, we preach a lot about the love of the Father here, uh, uh, the love that, that he has towards us, the love that we have towards him, the love that we have towards people, right? And, and for some, it's like, yeah, that's a great message. You got something else? This is everything. It's the very foundation of everything we do. We have to do everything in love. And he says this, this way, with all of God's people, you will be able to understand how wide, long, high, and deep his love is. You will know Christ's love, which goes far beyond any knowledge. I am praying this so that you may be completely filled with God. Glory belongs to God, whose power is at work in us. By this power, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. In verse 21, 
Glory belongs to God in the church and in Christ Jesus for all time and eternity. Amen. Do you see it here? Paul first shows us who we are in Christ. He shows us God's amazing goodness, his mercy, his grace, his love. And then that love leads us into the behaviors. You know, if if we're not careful, we will get this wrong. Many of us try to start with behavior and we find ourselves failing. It's like getting on the treadmill and then putting it on seven. You know, it's funny, as I've seen people actually have that thing just cranking at the gym and then they'll get off for a minute to get a drink and then every time they're getting ready to get back on, I'm like, Lord, help them. Because they'll be like, and they'll get back into it. It's like, couldn't you slow that down a little bit? What are you trying to prove? Sometimes we do that in Christianity. Okay, I'll take a breath. All right, I'm back into it, Lord. I got, I got this thing down. I'm working really hard. I'm going to perform really good with good intentions, right? Because all of us have a desire to display good behavior. How many believers here, when you do something that you know goes against the grain of who you are, you feel bad about it? Now, I'm not talking about condemnation. We need to get out of that. But, but there's a level of, man, this, this, this doesn't line up with who I am. This just doesn't feel right. Why? Because you're different now. You're brand new at the core. At salvation, when you believe in what Jesus did, what happens? It's a change. It's a miracle that transforms you from the inside out. So sometimes we have old habits, old thoughts, ideas, things that we do. We're just used to responding a certain way. How do we get through that? Right here, it talks about it. We need to be grounded in his love for us. We need to see his goodness towards us. Now, for some of us, we've heard this message 162 times. Well, guess what? 163 may be what really helps it click in your mind. Because we need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. You know, I tell my wife that I love her. I didn't just do it on our wedding day. I do it as often as I can, and sometimes not enough. With my kids, I didn't, the day where they're born, I was like, man, I love you. That should be good enough, right? No, I remind them continually of my love for them. Sometimes the best time to remind someone of your love for them is when they've totally screwed up. I'm telling you, it does something. You know, and I'm not the best at that, but the times when I do, I'm like, wow, Lord, thank you, Holy Spirit. You're always leading me in this direction. But when one of my kids messes up and I put my arm around them and I don't yell or scream or get mad or angry or, or you know, punish them rather than train them, when I say, Listen, you're a good man. You're a good woman. I I love you. I care about you. And then we can go into the idea of why you shouldn't do this, why behavior matters. Because how many know that sin stinks? It hurts. It stings. We're training our children now to make better decisions, better choices. But they should be learning from us that we love them no matter what. Because love is fuel. You know, when we get into this mode, what we do is we try to do life without the fuel. We try to behave good without the source of goodness. Does that make sense? It reminds me of this trip that we took to Chicago once. I think we were going to a jazz festival there, and it was uh, Bianca and Jonathan were with us. And so we're driving along in the van. And how many know that if you're driving to Chicago, you should probably put enough gas in the tank to get to Chicago? Yeah, it's just a great idea. I found that out. So we're driving down the expressway, and, and, and we're just like, oh, this is going to be so cool. This is great. And all of a sudden, there was a sputter, sputter. And I was like, what happened? And I felt a sputter, and I looked down at the gas gauge. It was on E, and I went, oh, my gosh, we're going to run out of gas. And we were on the expressway. And when you're on the expressway, usually, I mean, luckily, within two miles, there was an exit with the gas station. But I didn't know this. 
So I'm cruising along. Well, all of a sudden, I remembered when, when I was younger, my dad would do this because we almost ran out of gas a couple times. So I guess it's just something that I inherited. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I appreciate it. But he would do this thing where he would just, he would jerk the wheel back and forth, right? And, and, has anyone ever done this? I'm the only one? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. You guys put gas in your car. Great. So I would go back and forth. And what it would do, it would slosh that gas around and keep it going. So we're going down the expressway. It sputters. I look down. I see E. I freak out, as I usually do. And I start going, like this. <laughs> and no, nobody knew what was going on. I look over and I see Jonathan was in the front seat. And he's, he's going, what the heck? <laughs> What's going on? And I finally explained to them that we're running out of gas. But they're all like, they thought something was going on with the car. We we're going to flip over. What's happening? And luckily, we coasted about two miles right into a gas station, praise God, and we filled it up. But see, trying to go to Chicago without fuel won't work. <laughs> trying to do good works and exude the good behavior that's inside you without his fuel of love, it just won't work. Otherwise, you're on the treadmill of performance. And I think, you know, it's a struggle because how many here would say that you want to please your dad? That you want to do the right thing for your dad. And that's noble and that's great. But what's so cool about this is we don't have to do life on our own. This is a life in union with Christ. It's a spirit with us all the time. It's Jesus who gave his life to us to live his life through us. And so now through his power, his strength, his ability, we produce fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those wedges of the fruit of the spirit, the good works that he's put in there in advance for us to do. He's going to do it if we allow him to do it. But the only way that we can open up and allow him to do that is by saying, okay, first of all, I'm going to let you love me. Now, I know we say this a lot, but I'm telling you, my own experience in my life, when you let the Father love you, when you let him saturate you in his love, when you understand that he, he loves you with, with where you are, with what you're going through, he accepts you right there, it changes everything. Because it's this total rest, it's this trust or faith. It's his total dependence on him for life. And so then you get off the treadmill, you carry it to the curb, and then you enjoy life together. It makes such a difference. Performance agendas are not the gospel. It's unfortunate, but I mean, you can pull up podcasts online, YouTube videos, you can go to churches all over, and you're going to hear the gospel in the form of performance agendas. And I'm here to say, that's not what the gospel is. Now, the gospel, the good news, will change you to the point where you will have an outflowing of the fruit of the Spirit. You will do good works. You will love people. You know, exuding gentleness and peace. How does that happen? Through love. I mean, that's why it's the foundation of everything. And, and we've heard those messages. People say, act like a Christian. I probably preach those messages. Act like a Christian. In other words, act like you're supposed to. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be a man. Be a woman of God. And do what you need to do. And some people are like, praise the Lord. Amen. I need to hear this message. And so then they jump back on the treadmill as soon as they leave service. And they try it again. And then they fall. And they scrape a knee or their forehead or down their side. And they wonder why. And then they come back. And they're told, act like a Christian. Do better. Be more. They get back in the treadmill. And they do it again. This is what the gospel has become. We say, act like a Christian. But here's the thing. We're not actors. 
We're not actors. Actors play roles. Acting or becoming like someone they are not. We are children of God bearing his image. It's natural to walk it out. Think about that. Whenever you feel like, like you're acting, then you don't know who you are. If you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm going to really try to love this person. I've I got to put on this act and put on the smile. Well, wait a minute. You must not know who you are in Christ. You must not understand the relationship you have with your father. And this isn't putting you down. This should be one of those things where you look at yourself and go, why am I feeling like I have to act this out? Now, that's not to say that there aren't times where, you know, I say, Lord, I forgive that person, but my emotions are going haywire. My mind's going, no, this does not compute, does not compute. Don't forgive them right? We want retribution, retributive justice. That's the way it goes. No, the Bible talks about, Jesus talks about restorative justice. It's about restoring relationship. It's about bringing unity with people in humanity through Jesus Christ. You know, it could never happen unless the resurrection happened because that's when Jesus, first of all, on the cross, he took all of the sin of humanity Everything the world had to offer, accusation. Think about it. He was a spotless lamb, right? He was innocent. Accusation, lies, fraud, deceit, murder, anger. He took everything upon him. And you know what's so beautiful? He exhausted it all. And through his resurrection, he said, I'm bigger and I'm better than the principalities of this world. And then he made an open show, an open display of them, and defeated them and said, now this is the way to be human. This is how we function in life, through love, through peace, and through grace. Isn't this awesome? I mean, we look at the world and sometimes we're like, even in our own nation, we're like, what is going on? It's getting worse and it's worse. But let me tell you something. The world has gotten so much better. Man, if you would have lived in the time of Rome or the Egyptians or the Babylonians, think about the human rights efforts that have happened all around the world. Think about the hospitals that have been established. Think about all the goodness and feeding the poor and digging wells. Do you know where that's come from? From the church. Now, sure, there's people outside of the church who have done things, but the church was the one who said, who said we're going to do these things. This is our, our place in the world. And so we, we built hospitals. We fed the hungry. We showed unity and peace and love to the world. That would have never happened without the resurrection. And so is the gospel social? Yeah, on one side it is. So the cross matters because Jesus on the cross defeated sin, defeated death, defeated the enemy, and then through resurrection, now we can have new life through him and now bring the kingdom of heaven into this earth. Isn't that beautiful? And you know, it's going to be so exciting one day when we can actually usher the Lord into this earth and he makes everything brand new. No more death, no more decay. But between the resurrection and his return, what are we going to do? Is it us four and no more? Or do we get into a love relationship with our Father that then eventually turns us outward to humanity and we say, wow, the world matters. I should take care of the earth. I should take care of the world. I should get involved in politics where I can. Now remember, politics and the gospel are not the same thing, right? But get involved. Give back. Be human. This is what we were built to do. So we're bearers of his image. Now, the idea of conduct... When, when, when we teach this, first, 
you know, the behaviors first and don't explain how to get there, it's like watching the last half of a movie or a TV show. You know, if you, if you watch the last half, you'll be like, wait a minute, I missed the middle, I missed the, how did they get to this point? How, why did this guy do that or why did this girl do this? We don't know. Now in our house, I'll tell you what, I, I've almost, I, I hate to use this word, but I almost have come to loathe the pause button. Because we pause stuff so much in our house. Everybody's got something to do. I'm like, man, Lord, why did you ever give anybody the idea of the pause button? I didn't have pause buttons when I was growing up. My video games, you play, and then at some point you turn it off. You can't pause. You can't save. The kids today are like, just one more minute. I'm like, don't you have a pause button? Don't you have like some type of save? And it's always like, oh, I got to get to a save point. No, you can just turn it off and go do the dishes like I told you two hours ago. Because I'm your gracious father who loves you. Amen? Can I get an amen? Yeah. But, you know, at our house, we love the pause button. And, and there'll be times where I'm really into a show and we're watching it, you know. We're doing our Netflix binge. Come on, admit it. And we're watching our shows. And we're like, if we can get one more in, right? I got one eye open, one more. And then I wake up like five minutes into the show, I fell asleep. I wake up to the credits. Why am I sleeping on the couch? So we'll sit there and we'll be watching our show. You're laughing because you've been there. So we're sitting there, we're watching our show, and she'll get up, and I kind of will notice because I'm into it. And then I hear her like doing something in the kitchen, and then walking down the hall, I'm like, hey, babe, did, did you want me to pause this? She's like, uh, yeah, I want to watch it too. I'm like, why didn't you say something when you got up? She's like, well, why didn't you just acknowledge when I got up and you should do it? So, you know, then it's this great conversation. I'm like, why don't we just go to bed? But anyway... But it makes me think of shows. You know, if you ever come into a season or you come to someone's house, you're like, dude, this show's so good. But they're three seasons in, they're on the last episode, and you're like, I don't even get where this is going or why. It's the same thing when we go to behavior first. We're like trying to behave. We're like, how do, how do we get here? I'm trying to figure this out. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. We read this earlier, but, but let's go back to this. Because again, we, we want the conduct in our speech motivated by Christ. How many would say amen to that? But what motivates us? It's the middle and the beginning. Behavior matters. Sometimes it's all that people see. And I think it's important that we display righteous behavior. I really do. I'm a grace guy, but I believe that we need to display righteous behavior. Realizing who you are in Christ, and more specifically, that you are your Father's beloved. This is a big deal. But in Ephesians chapter 3... He explains some of this before he gets to the behaviors. Verse 17, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, so that's the key, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, this isn't just a human love. This isn't just a human way of thinking. This is, this is God's love. And God is Love. So it's coming to this, this place where I think it's going to take a lifetime to really understand it, but we're challenged to measure how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and that it surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, it comes down to this. God wants us to be responders to his love. Responders to his love. You know, Jesus, he really brought the one main command, and it's to love others as I've loved you. And really, that sums up the idea of loving neighbor and loving God, right? So what happens is when we respond to God's love for us, we end up loving God, and we end up loving 
neighbor, loving people. So God wants us to be responders to his love. There's only two ways, really, that we can choose to live. Number one, we've talked about it, is treadmill Christianity. How many have been on that treadmill before? But here's the other way, sponge Christianity. Now, I love metaphors because it just paints these pictures to help us kind of grasp the concept that we're looking at. So is it treadmill Christianity or sponge Christianity? Are we being a sponge or a human on a treadmill? Now, what's, what, what does it mean to be a sponge? It means that you're soaking everything in that you can from God. You take time and you invest in understanding. And as I renew my mind, as I get new thoughts about what love means, as I get new thoughts about how God is and what he looks like, I start to get a new outlook on humanity. Regardless of what they're going through, regardless of lifestyle, you're loving them. You know, kind of like Jesus did. I mean, Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, he was sinless, right? This concept shows me that God isn't scared of sin. He doesn't like what sin does to us, but he's not afraid to be around it. I mean, Jesus hung out with sinners. Why? Because he knew that he was the answer to their problem. Not only that, they gravitated towards him because he accepted them where they were. So as we renew our mind, we begin to be filled with the love of God. So soak up his love. Put the treadmill to the curb. So working backward, we see this. Behavior is a result of understanding. So if we want proper behavior, then we have to have a proper understanding. In other words, what we do comes from knowing who we are. It's a result of what God has made us, a new creation. So here's the thing. Telling the believer that they need to show the actions before realizing that they are new and understanding his love for them will bring shame, embarrassment, and a feeling of inadequacy. You ever felt like you haven't measured up? Like you're not good enough? He doesn't want you to feel that way. And many times we feel that way because we think that behavior comes first. We don't have a proper understanding of his love for us. We get the cart before the horse. In Ephesians chapter 2, we go back one more chapter. It really sums us up. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 8 it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Now Christmas is coming up, so we understand the concept of a gift, right? Is a gift earned? No. A gift is freely given. So salvation comes from God by you believing, just saying, God, I believe that you've you've extended your hand with this gift of salvation, and I receive it. It's free. Why? Not by my works, so that no one can boast. It's so that we can't boast and say, I did this. And I love verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in what? Advance for us to do. See, behavior is important. Sin stinks. It will destroy people's lives. It will destroy relationships. It hurts. It must be avoided for a fulfilled life. But remember this. Receiving comes before producing. If you want to produce fruit, good behavior, you have to receive first. Again, as we receive the understanding of who we are in Christ, and as we are rooted and grounded in God's love toward us, we will see 
results. What is that? Fruit. Good behavior. Now, anyone here today, if you felt like, oh, pastor, I'm so condemned right now. I mean, I feel like I just got to go out and work hard for good works and good behavior. Anyone? I hope not. I hope that you see that being rooted and grounded in his love is the most important thing that we can do. That's the starting point. That's the foundation. And from that come the good works. So I'm here to say, take that treadmill and kick it to the curb. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this idea that our behavior and good works stem from your love toward us. That's an outflow of a loving relationship with you. I pray that we have seen that this morning, that we don't have to get on the treadmill. It's not about a performance agenda. We don't have to do things to get you to love us more. We don't have to do things to impress you, to get more favor from you. But we also know this, what we do matters. Behavior matters. So I thank you, Lord, that each one of us here today, maybe there's something in our life that we're struggling with. Maybe there's an addiction. Well, guess what? Salvation from you, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, brings deliverance from every area of addiction. Maybe we're going through a time where we find it hard to forgive somebody. I can't forgive that person. I can't let them off the hook. Maybe this morning we'll realize that, you know, I can be a forgiver because, Lord, you're a forgiver and you live your life through me. I just pray for every person here this morning, whether it's dealing with unforgiveness or bitterness, dealing with addiction in their lives, certain issues or circumstances, maybe issues that weren't even their fault that have come their way. I pray that we would see you as our source of life, that we would take that fuel called love from you to get through those situations, to get through the addictions, to get through the circumstances, to forgive others as you've forgiven us because we can do it with you as our strength and ability. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.